Awesome. Happy Father's Day, everyone, as that has already been said. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I titled this sermon, Food, Maturity, and Power Tools. So hopefully it hits home today with fathers. And um, yeah, if you've maybe known me for a hot minute, then you know that, uh, you might know that I'm terrible at home renovations. I'm terrible. I am not a handyman in the slightest. For the longest time in my life, I had the fundamentals. I had a screwdriver and a hammer, and that got me through so much, or so little. I did very little repair. I did no repairs because I only had a screwdriver and a hammer. And it wasn't until, gosh, like 2017 we got married, and... Uh, and still, screwdriver, hammer, and it wasn't until we had Rory in 2019 that, uh, lo and behold, a Father's Day, I receive a gift of a, t of a, of a drill. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> it's a drill. <laughs> a cordless drill. I was like, what is this? And um, I was like, this is great. I mean, this, I should have this, and I don't, and I don't know when I'm going to use it. I think I... I think the first time I just put up a shelf and I was like, well, there, I've, I've used it. Check that box. And I didn't touch it again. And it wasn't until we moved to Whitby, I believe. And um, yeah, we, we were kind of moving all the stuff into our place. And we were kind of looking around and we had just received um, a, an amazing wedding anniversary gift of this, this big TV. And it was like, this is great. So we were looking around going, well, where do we put this? And unfortunately, it seemed that the best place that we could put this was over the fireplace against brick. And I was like, whoa, looking down at my hammer and my screwdriver going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. <laughs> and, uh, and it dawned on me, okay, I guess I'm going to have to <sighs> blow off the dust on this power drill and uh, go to town with it. So I, man, I think I, I researched for hours how to do this thing, hours. Um, I had no clue what I was going to do with these more mature tools. And so I learned, like, okay, I need a special drill bit. I need to go into the mortar. I need to get these anchor things and these screws. And, and so I did it. I, I took some hours, and I went out to Home Depot. I got what I needed. I plugged the bit into the drill, I guess. And I was like, okay. I mean, here it goes. I think there's a picture of me doing this. <laughs> this is from years ago. I don't know, Vera was like, I have a picture of you putting this up. I was like, that is crazy. So that's me getting ready. And uh, it was at this point that I began drilling. And, you know, two minutes go by, five minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. And I kid you not, 20 minutes go by. And I have only made a dent <laughs> into the mortar. I'm thinking to myself, like, what am I doing wrong? I have the drill bit. I have all this stuff. What am I doing wrong? And I realized I had it in reverse the whole time. And so I clicked it, and sure enough, it went in like butter. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. And I finished it up in maybe 20 minutes and got it mounted. I stepped back, and I looked at my TV, and it was like, well, I'm, I'm not going to be doing this again in the near future. But in this instance, in, in my household, I needed much more than just my basic tools. 
I needed something a little more mature. I couldn't put up this TV with my fundamental tools. And we talked a, a few weeks ago, actually, on Mother's Day. We did a sermon on the family altar and bringing worship daily into the household. And so this is a bit of a spiritual successor to that sermon. Because I, I was thinking of the repercussions of doing daily household worship. And inevitably, we're going we're gonna to encounter a lot of questions from uh, our household, our kids, whoever we're doing this with. We're going to get questions. How do we start to answer these questions? How do we chew on spiritual questions and discern what a wise answer looks like? So we're going to be diving into Hebrews 5.11 to chapter 6, verse 3. It's kind of the tail end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 here. And um, just to give some context, the author of Hebrews is explaining Jesus' role as high priest. He's you know, explaining just like Aaron and his sons, Jesus was appointed by God, but he was from the order of Melchizedek. And he's setting up to start explaining him the priesthood of Jesus. But he pauses for a second. And what he does is he actually pauses and he starts reprimanding his readers. And so that's where we're going to pick up here. Hebrews 5.11. About this, and what he means by this is about this Jesus role as high priest in the order of Melchizedek stuff. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. And when we say oracles of God, that's like prophecy, the Old Testament. Let me continue here. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So I'm going to pause there just for a second. The author is perturbed. He's a bit annoyed. He senses that the readers of his note should be more spiritually mature than they are. Even to the point that they should actually be teaching God's word, but they are still being taught themselves and they are doing no teaching it seems. And when we say the word mature here, um, this isn't like an age thing. This is a metaphor for those who are morally and spiritually prepared. He worries that his audience, the readers, they won't be able to draw out the good from the bigger themes that are about to come in Hebrews. So let's keep reading here, chapter six, 6 here. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So he uses this kind of milk and solid food thing here. And he's relating that to the maturity and he's relating milk, specifically here, 
to the basic principles of Christianity, which are good things. He, he lists repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instructions for baptism, prayer and petition, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And solid food, on the other hand, seems to be all of the other doctrines that would start to build up on this. All the other teachings that build on those fundamental stuff, but they build on it. Like the priesthood of Jesus that he's about to go on and explain in chapters 7 to 10. But don't get it, don't get it mixed up here. Even though he calls them elementary doctrine of Christ, he's not putting them down. Don't, don't let it seem like he's putting this stuff down. This is like the bedrock, the foundation. This is good stuff. Even 1 Corinthians, like Paul uses the same language. And in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So remember, he's not putting it down. These are, these are elementary um, principles. These are good things. These are foundations. But it's actually more than just understanding the elementary principles. The Corinthians here points out that the, there are behaviors that are tied to understanding. It's more than just understanding. It is behaviors. So, and even now you are not yet ready for solid food because you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? It seems that our maturity in understanding Scripture is very linked to the way that we live our lives. Milk, these fundamental doctrines, is the food for those who are not yet morally and spiritually conformed to the behaviors and desires of Christ. And so the question becomes, well, who is supposed to move on from milk? Are we all supposed to move on from milk? The answer is yes. Ideally, all of us at some point. There's no indication that this is like role-specific stuff. That only pastors or adults or teachers or Bible nerds are supposed to move on from milk. You know, we, we can't just say, yeah, you move on to solid food and then you make a smoothie out of it and drip feed the rest of us who don't have the jaw strength for chewing. It's a call to maturity. And we need to be ready to chew. We need to be ready to mature into being, reading through scripture and saying, hey, I need to chew on that. And knowing what that looks like. So why does this all, why does, why does spiritual maturity matter? And it's laid out right in Hebrews 5.13. One of the reasons, and he says, because staying on milk, it's not productive, is actually what is, is the claim here. 5.13 says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. It's a bold statement. And in verse 12, he lays out what solid food is going to lead to. Verse 12, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... 
So it seems we're supposed to be moving into this role of teaching, right? Just like the family altar stuff. We're designed to teach this stuff, not just consume, not just consume. And verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Moving to solid, it trains us for evangelism and teaching. It's the knowledge of good and evil is even what it says. And we need to be chewing on the bread of life, on the word of God. If we're to walk into life discerning good and evil, making judgment calls, choosing what the best use of our time is, when to make an apology, when to rebuke, when to admonish one another, how to teach our households about Jesus. We need spiritual maturity. This matters so much because it seems here we're all called to be teachers and doers of the word. And most of us have a household to teach. All of us definitely have neighbors to teach and brothers and sisters in Christ to teach. So you may be sitting there going, well, how do I teach? <laughs> and um, we're, do, we're actually walking through the youth with a bunch of these um, interesting questions. Um, because questions are going to arise. And it might be daunting to just say, gosh, I, I, you know, I, I've never thought about teaching. And so what we've actually been doing with our um, youth leaders is we walked through and we gave them a bunch of tools to use when they've received a question from one of the youth. And actually, that's what they're doing right now. We just have a box that they put questions into, <laughs> and then we pick a few for this particular week, and we just go through them and we answer them. And so I'm going to give you guys the tools that we actually trained them on so that you guys can be uh, trained. And I, I'm going to call them power tools. I'm going to give you guys power tools, six power tools <laughs> like I was given uh, since it's Father's Day here. <laughs> And I figured it would be, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I, I figured it's easiest to probably go through these six power tools if we actually have a question in mind. So I'm going to borrow one of the questions that the youth actually asked. And we're just going to use that one as kind of something to, as a pinata of sorts that we can whack a stick at and get the candy from. I don't know where this metaphor is going, but... <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the question that we'll be kind of um, tackling is, if God created earth, this is actually one from the youth, if God created earth, when was he created and how? So just put yourself into the teaching role, and you're doing, you know, your household worship, and this, post, this, this, this question gets posed. And gosh, maybe you don't know it on the spot, and that's okay. That's okay. But what do you do with it? Maybe in that moment you say, I don't know. I don't know. But you can take it away, and let's start with the first thing. You have to understand the question. Understand the question. If God created earth, when was he created and how? Walk through it. Define each word. If God, okay, are we talking Yahweh here? And this is going to be a conversation that you have with the questioner. Maybe you're the questioner. Maybe you have to do this yourself too. But if it's someone else, it's going to be helpful to say, 
What do you mean by God? Do you mean Yahweh, like of the Bible? Created earth. Do you just mean earth? Do you just think he, he created the earth? Or, or do you mean universe by this question? When was he created and how? I think the rest kind of makes sense. But it's good to get clarity. So let's understand the question. That's the first power tool. Second one, check for assumptions. Oftentimes we ask a question and we smuggle in so many assumptions by accident that we ask a really bad question sometimes. Or maybe not a bad question, but just, uh, and yeah, maybe a bad question. But <laughs> it's, and, that's, and that's okay. Because um, we need to ask questions to know what a bad question is, what a good question is. But we need to check for assumptions. And so if we're doing that here, for instance, if God created earth, when was he created and how? Can anyone see the assumption that's been made? He was created. That's right. And so it would probably just be helpful, especially if you've taken this question away, maybe just jot down. Like, okay, it seems that this is one of the assumptions that's being made here. And that's just helpful. Sometimes you just leave them in that column like that's the assumption, and it's a good one. It's a good assumption. But sometimes we're going to find out later if it's a bad one as well. So just jot that down. So check for assumptions. And then the third one is look to the book, and that's the Bible. Don't look to another book. Look to the book, <laughs> the Bible. Now, this could be a sermon in its own right. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into this like too in, in, in depth. But this is the portion where we submit to God's word. If we believe that this is the authority over our life, we, it would be so easy to just take our culture's bias and bring that and just come up with an answer that pleases everyone. But that's just simply not truth. <laughs> and so, we need to submit to scripture. That's what we need to do. Whether we like it or not, that's going to get us our answers. So we submit to God's word. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't know where to find this in the Bible at all. And that's okay. We need to learn how to deal with that. And in all honesty, if, if at the beginning you're doing something like, you know, was God created? Bible verses. That's okay. <laughs> like, that's okay. What I wouldn't do after that point is then go on to just regurgitate what you've found. What I would do is collect just a list of verses, a list of verses that you've found on your journey. And you go check them out for yourself. You go check them out. Get just a list of verses that speak to the subject, to speak to the question, and you can even look up, you know, pastors like a Tim Keller or uh, a David Platt or, oh gosh, uh, Piper or, I mean, there's, there's a ton of them, Francis Chan. I mean, a lot of these guys have talked about this stuff and, they, and they're trusted. And you can go to them and once again, don't just regurgitate, but look for the scripture that they used. And if they're not using scripture, guess what? Don't trust them. <laughs> Probably. But look for the scripture references, write them down, and then what you'll probably do is I would recommend, if it comes from John, go to the Bible Project. Look up a, a video about the book of John. Start by zooming out, and then zoom back right into the verse that was recommended to you, and then read before it and after it, 
and then glance at the chapter before it and after it. Like, what's the context here? What is being spoken about? So that by the time you zoom in to the verse that is about the topic that you're, you know, looking at, you have an idea of, of what this verse actually is getting at. And so this one, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a little bit, and, and this particular question, I mean, I've looked to, and, and John 1 came to my mind. And so we'll just, we'll just use this as the example here. But it says, in the beginning was the Word, and they're talking about Jesus there, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And here's the key part. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so this is going to move us right into point four, which is use your mind or borrow someone else's. (laughs) And so if we're going to do just a bit of deduction here or reasoning, we, uh, this verse seems to leave us with these two categories where we have without him, nothing was made that has been made. So we have these things that have been made, and it seems like apart from that, we have God, which has not been made. So that means if you can think of anything, if you can think of time and space itself, those things have been created. They have a beginning. Right? There's a lot of science that, I mean, backs us out. A point of the origin of the universe, and it's constantly expanding. Everything that has a beginning and an end was created. So guess what? God, spaceless, timeless, immaterial. He created everything, and then he put himself into the story as well. <laughs> so user reasoning. Now, you might, you might sit there and go, well, well Corey, I... I can't work that out like you did. Trust me, I didn't either. <laughs> like, this is not me just, you know, working this out on my own. I've, I've done studying on this stuff before, and so this stuff, you know, it just comes to mind after doing it and practicing it for so long. But you can look up, there are many Christian philosophers or, you know, um, I'll name a few, like William Lane Craig or C.S. Lewis, John Lennox, um, or even some current guys like a Frank Turek or a Mike Winger, uh, guys who learn to think biblically about a ton of stuff, about a ton of these topics that can help you think. And once again, don't just regurgitate. Go in with your reason. Go in with the words of God before you and test it. So use your mind or borrow someone else's. Fifth power tool is empathize with the user. I think this is uh, with the questioner, sorry. Um, I think this is so important. Don't just answer the question. Answer the person. There's a person behind this question, right? Don't just treat it as something so wooden as a simple question. Think to yourself, what does the questioner actually want? What are they trying to gain? What are they trying to preserve? What are they trying to protect by asking this question? This could be like a really sensitive subject. And so just remember, like, there's probably, there might be a lot of feelings, a lot of identity wrapped up in a question. So let it season your answer with salt. Right? Be careful. Be gentle. Empathize with the questioner. And the sixth and last power tool I'll leave you with here is explore why the answer matters. Why does it matter? 
I think this kind of helps put a bow on things for number one. Um, for this particular question, I know that, well, gosh, if God was created, I mean, why, why does this answer matter? If God was created by something else, then what's that thing? Because that's who we should be serving. <laughs> that would be much more powerful. So that's one reason why it matters a lot. But the fact that God is outside of time and space and he is above all things, that actually matters because, yeah, that means that our praise and, and honor and respect should go to him, rightfully so. And we should be bowing down to him. But I think another reason why we, why we do this is because, especially when, we, when we're answering a question, maybe with other ears listening, this is super helpful because the questioner definitely cares about the question that they've just asked. But everyone else in the room, they might not know how to tap into why to care about this. But if you explain why this answer matters, if we're talking about the trustworthiness of the Bible, for instance, and you're talking about you know, how it has not been corrupted, well, gosh, if you say, hey, guys, if you have some Muslim friends, this is a point that they often get stuck on, is that the Bible's been corrupted over the years. And so if you keep this in your back pocket, you may know how to have a gentle, good discussion with someone who, of, of the Muslim faith. They might know how to practically tuck this and file this away on why it matters. Does that make sense? Good. Explore why the answer matters. So there are these six power tools. And, and we... <laughs> and we uh, we tackled one question. We tackled one question, right? As an example, but you might start growing into bigger questions as you read and study Scripture, and as you mature, and therefore teach, right? Teach and live out this stuff. I mean, you might start asking, "What does it mean to be part of a priesthood? Should it affect how I live? What is the Trinity? Why does it matter?" What do the symbols in Revelation represent? Is Scripture trustworthy? How does my hope for heaven affect my actions on the earth now? How do I love my LGBTQ plus neighbors according to Scripture? Why is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross enough? In terms of my power tool renovation journey, <laughs> I'm definitely still on the milk. <laughs> And you might be a new Christian who needs the milk, who needs those fundamental principles, and that's okay. You are right where you're supposed to be. You're right where you're supposed to be. But do know, look forward, and know that one day you are supposed to be growing in maturity. You one day will be chewing on these questions as you grow and mature. I can't call my home renovation skills mature because I haven't practiced it nearly enough. What does that mean? It means I always rely on calling someone whenever I need help, and I can never tackle the big stuff on my own. And if we call ourselves Christians for a while, there's a call to maturity. There's a call to maturity right here in Scripture. Moral maturity, spiritual understanding. And don't forget, maturity is more than just questions and answers. It's how we live our life. It's how the answers to the questions transform the way that we live. 
tell the answers to our questions, transform the way that we live. Life is much more than home renos, so I'm going to survive my immaturity for sure, but for the spiritual renovation of our households, of our neighborhoods, of our families and friends, I urge you, church, that we are to mature spiritually. We are to grow in wisdom. We're to chew on the bread of life <laughs> and on the word of God. Okay? All right, I'm just going to close in prayer here. Hey, God, we just, um, we just pray for maturity. God, we just ask that um, as we teach those who are following you, may we be imitators of you so that we can look behind to those and teach people how to be imitators of us and thereby be imitators of you. And Lord, teach each other and encourage each other, Lord God, to just chew on Scripture to break in the solid foods, Lord God. Not because of, uh, of, of knowledge, because we know that knowledge puffs up, Lord God. That's not what we're after. What we are after is we're after a transformed life. We are trying to be conformed to you. So God, we just pray that um, we would take our, our, our time with you seriously, Lord God that we would take the things of, of you seriously, seriously enough to study them and wrestle with them and chew on them. And Lord God, that others would reap the benefits of us maturing in our faith, that we would share it amongst each other, Lord God. So God, just bless today. Thank you for fathers. We thank you that we have such a great example in you, the perfect example of a father, Lord God. And, um, yeah, we just, man, we just thank you that we are all adopted children. And what that means, Lord God. So be with us as we continue on our day-to-day and as we talk and as we have some coffee. In your name we pray. Amen.